Thanks for tuning in to Big Money in the 805. I'm Michael Anderson, and today we have the Academy Award winner Kevin Costner on the program. We hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. Today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office, car and homeowner's insurance for the 805. The beginning of the year is always a good time to review your insurance policies. You can call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805-487-7847. Michael Anderson is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Maranatha Financial. Due to industry regulations, he will not discuss any of Maranatha's investments on this program. All opinions expressed by participants on this program are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Maranatha Financial or its affiliates. For more information, visit Maranatha.com. It's time for Big Money in the 805 with your host, Michael Anderson bringing you a feature interview, a local nonprofit spotlight, and some financial wisdom. Get local and relevant information for the 805. For show notes and more information, go to maranatha.com. And now here's your host, Michael Anderson. Welcome to the program. We have a special show for you today. We have Kevin Costner as our feature interview and Ann King, the executive director of Ventura College's foundation as our nonprofit spotlight. Kevin Costner has had so many great movies, and I put out a question to friends asking about their favorite Kevin Costner movies, and I was expecting that everyone would have some of the same consensus around the movies that were their favorite, but I was very amazed. So many different favorite movies from people, and for me, I love Dances with Wolves and Field of Dreams. Spence, how about you? Bull Durham is the best. I'm a huge baseball fan. I love Bull Durham. Awesome movie. A lot of people did mention Bull Durham. A lot of people also mentioned For the Love of the Game, The Guardian, The Bodyguard, No Way Out, Waterworld, Field of Dreams, Dances with Wolves, and, and many others, actually. So he's had a remarkable and beautiful career making so many great films. And I've always been amazed at how a movie can move us. It can be an escape. We take a step out of our own life and into this story for just a few hours. And when we think about the career of Kevin Costner and all of these different favorite movies people have viewed and really enjoyed, there are so many different emotions that we've experienced together in watching these movies. The highs, the lows, the laughs, tension, the anger or joy in the community. Today, for all of us living here in Ventura County and Santa Barbara County, this past month has felt like a movie. But the trauma, the emotions and pain, they're very real. We don't get to step outside of the theater on this one. It's a real treat to have Kevin Costner on the program today. It's a beautiful thing that he has agreed to support the Thomas Fire Benefit Concert. His band, Modern West, will be playing. You can get tickets at thomasfirebenefit.com. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, Colby Calais, and Olivia Newton-John. What a lineup. And Super Duper Kyle as well. Uh, the show will be available for free online. You can get the show notes at marinantha.com. That's this show. You can find all the previous shows, Big Money in the 805 at marinantha.com. Or on iTunes. We'll be right back with our feature interview, Kevin Costner, right after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Big Money in the 805. I'm Michael Anderson, and today we have a special guest on the program. We have a local legend, Kevin Costner, on the program today. Kevin lived in Upper Ojai, played Little League Baseball, and also attended school at Cabrillo Middle School and Buena High School. Kevin has won numerous awards in Hollywood. He has remained a part of the community here in Ventura County. 
His band, Modern West, will be performing on February 3rd at Plaza Park in Ventura. You can visit thomasfirebenefit.com for tickets. Kevin, thank you for being on the program today. Well, thanks, Mike. This Thomas Fire and now the mudslides, they've been something that is so traumatic. How have you been impacted by this, and how are you doing? Well, we had to evacuate on the floods. I was in Park City, Utah, and my wife was here by herself. I flew in, and we had to evacuate. We had some people that were living higher in the hills that couldn't really go anywhere, and we let them uh, stay at our home here in uh, on Padero Lane. We uh, kept trying to fight our way back, but we ended up going to Colorado. The kids were pulled out of school. Everybody was pulled out of school. So we were displaced, but we didn't suffer the way other people did, and it just caused us to really, really think. We uh, ultimately were able to return. We were all, we all ended up waking up the same uh, after the mudslides. And um, and again, we were putting people in our house, didn't really have a place to go. So how have we been impacted? I mean, we haven't been impacted. We were lucky. And it's because of that that gives you pause, that makes you think about the other people whose lives will never be the same, people who have suffered losses that you can't quantify. And there's other things, the things that we lose in our life that we, you know, we accrue our whole life, memories, those are lost. And so we're not bruised. We're fine. And But the reality is our communities aren't and our people aren't. So how did it affect us? Well, I, I have to say that it didn't put a scratch on me, but it doesn't mean I don't feel bruised by what's yeah. happened. It's not measurable. And the only thing I think we can do is what we're trying to do on February 3rd. Yeah, I think that's well said. It's been so traumatic for all of us. And just seeing our friends and neighbors, I mean, this this didn't hit close to home. It hit home. This is where we live. This has uh, been a very traumatic thing. And I think February 3rd is going to be a very big event. And it's nice to see the way the community is coming together. This is a beautiful thing. I appreciate what you're doing on February 3rd. And I wanted to ask you a few questions just to, you know, about growing up here, if I could. I want to talk a little bit about growing up. I know you learned work ethic. And many people don't realize how hard that you worked over your life. Let's start with your childhood, if we can. You lived in Upper Ojai, up on Topa Lane. Yeah. You had a job up there. I think you sold apricots. I, had heard. <laughs> I wanted my, to ask you about that job yeah, and living up there. Yeah, that was my first job. You know, we moved to Upper Ojai. It felt like heaven to me. I was born in Compton, California. We lived there our first six, seven years. And my dad worked for Edison Company, and he got this job. And I remember the first day we started driving out here, and we went from one city, and the next thing you know, it was just rolling hills, and it turned into orchards. I, I can remember the drive to this day, going by the Dupars and Thousand Oaks, and that's the only thing that was out there, and then coming down the Conejo Grade, and then crossing the seemingly fields upon fields of orchards and crops, and, and I'm wondering where my dad's taking me. We turned on the, what turned out to be the 126. We actually went through Little Satakoy, which is a school I went to, by the way, from fourth to sixth grade, and we went through there and wound our way to even deeper, if it's possible, into the orchards of Santa Paula, and then we started on a little highway heading up and was started mirroring a stream. I just looked at my dad and I thought this was heaven. And we got up to Topa Lane and he said, this is our home. It marked me. It marked me forever. All I did was run in those hills. I mean, my mom told me, she said, you know, I had to make my peace with God that he would watch over you while you're out there playing. He goes, because I could tell that I would not be able to keep you in this yard. And she was right. I was out. Something I probably wouldn't let my kids do. That was my life. Just my bicycle and going up that upper valley and yeah uh, apricots were a way of life and um, 
like any guy, I wanted to make some coin at seven or eight. And so I went and, you know, I pitted apricots on the tray for him to dry and then kind of got smart. There was one field that wasn't being harvested. We went to the guy and said, you know, what if we, you know, can we pick these apricots and sell them on the side of the road? And, and so that's what we did. I mean, when you want to buy something, you got to go work for it. So um, that was it. But um, it was... Um, you know, in, in Field of Dreams, you go, is this heaven? You go, no, it's Iowa. And for me, it was, <laughs> you know, is this heaven? I said, no, it was uh, Topo Lane. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's beautiful. And that's like so many of us. I grew up in Satakoy selling avocados uh, on the side of the road as a kid and just a way to make a little money. It's just so funny. But now you played Little League Baseball in Santa Paula as a kid, uh, going to elementary school here in, in uh, on the east side. But what memories can you share about playing baseball there in Santa Paula being a kid? It was, it was unbelievable. Kid. You know, my brother played Little League in Santa Paula, but then we moved. We ultimately moved from Santa Paula down to Revere on, off of Wells Road. And Satakoy was uh, really where I came of age. Played in Satakoy Little League with all my friends and eventually uh, thought I was going to go to Balboa, but it was at the time when uh, when they just busing was kind of in vogue. and. They bust us all the way over to the other side to uh, Cabrillo. Cabrillo, yep. So when I finished Cabrillo, I was kind of hoping I was going to go to Ventura High because all my friends were, but because I'd been bust, it turned around now I had to go back to Buena, and I reconnected with the friends I knew in grammar school. And then in my sophomore year, I moved. So basically, there was this kind of change, if you count ninth grade at Cabrillo and 10th grade at Buena, and then I moved up to the Valley and Visalia, uh, and then down to Orange County, went to a place called Villa Park, and Went to four or five schools in a series of, you know, four years. You know, in, in life, a lot of times you say, you know, well, where were you born? And so that that answer, where'd you first live, that was Compton. And when somebody says, where are you from? I say Ventura. Mm, that's special. I've heard you mention that before and how, how Ventura is such a special place. And you've had much of your childhood in Ventura. I think it's well documented that you really enjoyed kind of growing up here. And Mark Twain has that quote, if a man lived his life correctly, he never forgets his childhood. He never gives it up. Yeah. So what about Ventura is special or nostalgic relating to your childhood? Well, it was a special time. You know, I mean, everybody feels like they probably grew up in one. But, you know, I know in the in the late 60s, mid 60s, it was you still let your kids go out the door. You know, you'd get on your bike and and you'd take off. I mean, we have a song called Superman, which is just about a kid dreaming and it's your all you have is your stingray and and hopefully the gang you get to ride around with and I had a gang of kids that we played with and we built forts and you know, yeah, we sold apricots, but we also threw them too. Yeah, we sold oranges, <laughs> but we also threw them. I mean, we created a bit of mayhem and we we built our forts out of the spare wood that all these track homes that people now lived in, you know, we're so, you know, we're straightening out nails to make our forts. We didn't have new ones. We just straightened out the bent ones. And it was a rich time for me. It was the same time my brother went off to Vietnam in 68. And the music that was happening, the town itself, you know, I look back on it now and I realize how special it really was. I, I logged so much time on the Ventura County Pier. You know, I wasn't a, ever a surfer, although, although I made a surfboard. I thought, well, I just didn't dig the cold water that much, but I, I probably would go to the figure out a way to get to that pier every day to go fishing. So, you know, when I drive through, I live now on Padero Lane here in Carpinteria. But when I drive through, 
uh, I have to wipe away the memories as I'm going by the Pierpont Inn. Do you feel like Ventura is the same in a lot of ways today, or has it changed much from I when you were I think it really kid? is very much the same. I think you've experimented with building up in those hills, and I always wish people never would, because there's something really special as you drive through seeing this great farmland and then looking up in the hills have nothing to offer except a view. And I've always felt that the temptation is always to build up there. But um, Ventura has held on to its skyline, and Santa Paula has done the same, and Ojai has done the same. And I don't want to get into the middle of the debate between people, but I would say, because you know, I don't live there, but I would say if you do and you like that view, you hold on to it. And you find other ways to build. You find other ways to remodel. You find other ways to make the community new. But there's something special about this place that not only you live, but also feeds a lot of America. Yeah, I think you're right. In the two trees, there's been a, some real positive movements with the Ventura Land Trust and the Rancho Conservation Trust. Hey, let's talk about music. So your band, Modern West, you're going to be playing February 3rd at Plaza Park here in downtown Ventura. Right. So people can pick up the tickets at thomasfirebenefit.com. But let's talk about this. Your mom had you learn to play the piano, this classical piano. Right. But at what point did you transition into playing other music, other than the classical Well, type? yeah, it was classic music. And after about four years of that, I just it was like eating vegetables or taking out the trash. <laughs> you know. And, and the teacher said, now don't let him play anything other than what I'm teaching him. And I swear, if I would have played a little rock, been allowed to play a little rock and roll tune, and some girl sat next to me, uh, nothing would have changed for me. I would have thought, wow, this this thing, this piano, this can really work. But I was I was made to do this classical thing, and you know, at a certain point, you know, you can only play, you know, one of those guys too often, where your buddies go, uh, see you later, man. And I wasn't going to let that happen to me. And so my mom said, look, if you leave this alone, it's going to be the biggest mistake of your life. One of them. I've made some mistakes in my life, and that was one of them. But I came back to music. Actually, when I was down in Hollywood, you know, in the early years of trying to become an actor, I became really close with some musicians, and and that's how music started again for me. But then, when the movie started to go really well, I let the music stop, and it was only about 15 years ago where my wife, Christine, encouraged me to go back to music, and it was just something I just trusted in myself, ultimately. Uh, not at first, though. It, it really took my wife to kind of use two years of gentle prodding. And finally, I, I gave into it. And it's been really about really incredible 15 years with my band traveling around the world and playing. That's beautiful. Well, we're looking forward to February 3rd. A couple more questions I wanted to ask you. So your dad moved out from Oklahoma to California. It's during the Dust Bowl. You guys didn't have a lot of money growing up, but he was an extremely hard worker. We know that about him. And he, he was able to teach you the value of hard work. So how did your hard work set you apart from other actors earlier in your career and how do you teach that work ethic to your kids well i don't know that it separates me from anybody but i i certainly went to hollywood without kind of any safety net or life you know i didn't know what i was doing i mean i remember the first interview i went to in hollywood where you're supposed to be kind of cool i i wore a coat and tie it just shows you how square i was i just <laughs> i just didn't know i mean i I did come from a really conservative background. My father did watch everything that my grandfather had worked for evaporate. And it was like Tom Jode. It was the grapes around. And he worked. He worked really hard. And I remember he told me, he said, look, you just don't dig fast enough. You don't sweep fast enough. He said, if you really want to keep that job, he says, you have to understand there's 20 other people that want it. And he said, when there's 100 that want it, 
He said, you'll, you'll work faster. And, and you know, that, that message kind of got old as a kid, but he just built that into me that you have to, you just have to outwork people. <laughs> right. And I don't know, I guess we get a lot of things from our parents. Sometimes we get privilege. Sometimes we get money. Sometimes we get no attention. And sometimes we get all the attention in the world, love. And that's really what I got. I got a lot of love and a, and a big dose of discipline. Uh, you know, right in the middle of the 60s, you know, when I was thinking things are changing. I think those are core right there, love and discipline. If you can instill that in your kids, you're doing really, really well. So, But there was no safety net for you when you went out there and you said, I'm going to be acting. You're 22 years old. I think, you you know, you just trusted your intuition and you said, you know, I don't care what people think about me, but I'm going to trust my heart and my feelings and that small voice in my head that says this is right. So I don't, yeah. think, I don't think people realize well, you know, that. You, 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 you don't get past, I don't care what people think. You say, I can't worry about what they think. Right. Because I still care about what people think. You know, I do the best I can. I'm going to make mistakes I have. It still matters to me what my friends think. I think that's important. I think the day that nothing matters to you is a problem. But the idea that you're going to worry about what people think as you just try to find your own way is something that a lot of us have to shake off. And it was something I had to shake off. And I, and I had to come to it. And it was a break. It was a break from my parents. It was a break from everybody I knew. But it was, uh, it was just kind of somehow listening to the, it was just listening to my, myself and thinking, I don't want to grow up saying, I could have done that. I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have done this. Because in a way, I always felt that. When I looked at the world, I thought, I could do that. When I saw something, I said, I could try that. I was pretty fearless, and I actually scared my father, who only had the one job. He felt you get a job, you hold on to it. I felt that you go till something fills your heart and your hobby becomes your work. That's a nice shift. That's a very nice shift. So is that the advice you give to people that pursuing their dreams, that you just, you know, you have to know what you want and go after it and kind of put aside maybe what other people are going to think about your decision to do that? Yeah, listen, you have to have a sense about yourself. Your dream can be as big as you want it. The people that tell you you can't do it, you, they just, you know, they're in between you and your dream, and you have to move away from that. You move away from the, you move to those people that find a way to encourage you, and you need to start to move away from people who begin to doubt you. And in the meantime, you have to know how to keep working. You can't, you know, just kind of sit, I'm not going to do anything until the really great thing happens to me. You just have to keep, you work, you got to find that apricot orchard and you got to, <laughs> you got to go sell some apricots and you got to do some other things. And it's amazing the journey that you have by, uh, you know, knowing how to work, but working towards finding the right environment for you. Dreams are really, really important. And how you go about them is really important. They don't come to you sitting still unless you just like win the lottery and I'm not that guy and I don't know that you are either. I think there's a lot to be said for that. And, you know, you've obviously trusted your intuition and that's been great. I got to ask you an important question, Kevin. 15 years ago, we got together. We got together to play some wiffle ball here in Ventura. And at the time, I was one of the national championships on the wiffle ball team, the Abros. We were 53-0, and going to the St. Louis to win the championship. Since then, I've hung up the wiffle ball bat and cleats, and I've retired from the game. But I'm just curious, are you and your son still playing wiffle ball? If there's a ball in a house, it's being thrown. Ten minutes ago, I was with my 7- and 8-year-old and Joe, who you're talking about, who's right. now 30, we were playing in this long hallway, monkey in the middle. I mean, what happens, there's rough housing in my house. My house is noisy. <laughs> Balls flying are a part of it. And uh, I do remember that day we played. 
think we both got bats on balls that day. It was really a lot of fun. I'm, uh, it was uh, interesting that you were turned your passion into something that you can look back on and be proud of. Yeah, that was fun. The funniest memory of that time that uh, my brothers and uncle and I joke about is we had Granny there. Yeah, I think of the whole day you, you made a bunch of superior plays, but there was one little error, and Granny was right on you, calling you fumble fingers, and that was just hilarious. We still joke about that. Yeah, Granny. you know, grandmothers always get this special pass. You know, <laughs> right, you know, they right. Can, they can say stuff to you that you know almost almost no one can say. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing your band, Modern West, February 3rd in downtown Ventura. Before we close, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I hope we fill it up. I mean, one of the, the questions we always ask ourselves is, what can we do? And the answer usually comes back, you know, kind of blank. It's like you don't know what to do. You're paralyzed. You know, a lot's happened. You're just lucky it didn't happen to you. It's okay to feel like that, but we are going to gather as a community. And even though we don't know what to say to the people that we know and care about, people we'll never meet again in our life maybe all we need to know is that we filled that place and we stood with them and we thought about them we know that their road is not an easy one but on this day as a community we stopped and we think about them and and there'll be other people that pick that up and animals on the planet don't act that way they move away from what's just bads happen and human beings move together they come closer. That doesn't mean we know what to say, hand on a shoulder, something. Uh, on this day, on the 3rd, let's just go stand together in, in the name of what happened, and hopefully we'll fill it. It won't seem like a lot, but it'll just be what we can do, and that's how I started. Which This is what I can do. If you want to come be, let's try to make a moment of it. Our guest today is the one and only Kevin Costner. He grew up here in Ventura. His heart is still a part of this community. Please join us on February 3rd to see Modern West and others. You can pick up your tickets online at thomasfirebenefit.com. Kevin, thank you for being on the program today. Okay, Mike. Get ready to take some notes. It's time for the two-minute drill with Michael Anderson on Big Money in the 805. Two-minute drill. Grab a piece of paper and a pencil. It's time for today's two-minute drill, brought to you by FamilyMoneyClass.com. You're never too young or too old to learn about money. Check out FamilyMoneyClass.com. It's a great way to connect with your children and learn about money together. For the past 11 years, I've taught business classes at Ventura College, and during this time, I've also had my day job as a financial advisor, helping people with money. There are two important points that I want to make here today. First one is this. I don't know why we don't teach education and financial literacy in classes uh, here in America. I think we all can agree that it's a real problem, and it's something that has eluded our formal education system. But the second point I'll make is that I think it's important for the financial industry to try to help people that don't have the money yet. They've always helped the people that do have the money. And I think there's a way that people can get that help. This has been something that's been very close to me growing up. We didn't have any money, and it's on my mind and heart to help people in this demographic, to give them access to good information. With technology, it's now more possible than ever before. So I'm going to direct you to three websites very quickly. The first one is allocationlink.com. I've partnered with Betterment.com to offer this to people. It's smart, it's low cost and accessible. So you can transfer a 401k from an old job or open a retirement account. Doesn't matter how much money you have to be able to get that going. Uh, The second website is Betterment.com. 
Now, this is a a huge company. If you want to go directly to Betterment, you don't need anyone to talk with about your financial stuff. You can just go right to them. Uh, Betterment.com is great. And the third website is familymoneyclass.com. Now, I've just finished this. How do you teach a teenager or a young adult about good money habits? Well, this website can help you. It's a way for you to connect and collaborate with your children to learn and teach them about money. So it does have a small cost, but if you can't afford it, you can click a button and get it for whatever you can afford. So that's accessible as well. And if you want help, you can find a fee-only financial advisor at napfa.org, or you can contact me directly. I'd be happy to talk with you. You can get more information on my website, marinantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Nonprofit Spotlight. Here's a local group we want you to know about. Nonprofit Spotlight. Today's spotlight is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. Our guest today is Ann King, the executive director of Ventura College Foundation. You can learn more at vcgiving.org. Ann, thank you for being on the program today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start with this. Tell us about the Ventura College Foundation and what you guys are up to. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to start by just giving some fun facts. Uh, to just uh, they were These were surprises to me when I started with the foundation um, probably about four years ago. And one of the things that is very important to understand, and many do who have been to community college, is that 70% of our college-bound high school seniors go through the community college system, both in the state and in the country. And that's been true since 1960, and it's been done by design. So when we're talking about workforce development, we're talking about educated workforce, we're talking about um, education in general, we need to know that the workhorse of higher education is really the community college. And so goes our economy in the county, um, as does the community colleges go in terms of doing their work. So really important resource. And um, it's very exciting to be part of the Ventura College Foundation. We really provide three separate things. One is access to college for people who want it um, in their first year by, through our Promise program, which, which supports about 1,000 students every year coming right out of high school uh, with free tuition. Our second way that we support our students is by supporting them while they're at college. So we do that through our scholarship program. We provide $600,000 a year to um, about 300 students a year. And then through our textbook support program, because textbooks are more expensive than classes and tuition at community college. Um, community college is $46 a unit. The average textbook is about 180 to $210 a book. So many people who have been in college recently understand this very, very well. And lastly, we support our students on their as they entered their next chapter after Ventura College. So either that's through creating corporate partnerships and creating an, a possibilities for internships, uh, or we support them with our transfer scholarships so we can aid our students in managing that really high cost going to a four-year college or university. The Ventura Promise you mentioned and also the textbook lending program are two very cool projects. I'm familiar with them being uh, adjunct faculty and there are many others I know you're doing as well with scholarships and things. But I wanted to just share a little bit more information about the textbook lending. Yes, 
Thank you. Um, so our textbook lending project touches about 6,000 students. We have 13,000 students at Ventura College. Uh, 6,000 students a year take advantage of either going to our semester lending program at the beginning of each semester, which provides up to three textbooks per student uh, per semester. And then we also have a reserve collection whereby any student can come to the library, do a two-hour checkout of any textbook that is required by any class. Uh, and then there's an overnight option too if you get there at the end of the day. So it doesn't provide every student with every textbook that they need, but we, we do, we make a dent in the, in the capacity of our students to afford to come to college. That's a really yeah. big point. Now I know your staff is growing. You have two new staff that just came on board. Uh, share with us what they're going to be doing and also share how the community can support uh, the Ventura College Foundation. Absolutely. So we have our two new staff members are Jerry Pantoja. Uh, he is our director of major and planned giving. And Julie Harvey, who is our development manager. Uh, together, they have about 30 years experience in the nonprofit world. Jerry Pantoja started at Antelope Valley College, a community college um, in Lancaster. We're really glad to have him. Most recently, he comes to us um, in his fundraising life and career from the School of Architecture at at USC. Um, I brought him on specifically so that he could help invite the community to engage in some really wonderful opportunities to transform lives. Every philanthropic donor that we have really for a small contribution can make an immense impact on our student body. And so Julie Harvey also is our direct marketing specialist, both both in social media and in traditional direct marketing with her 20 years experience. With both of them and their talent, we're going to be able to transform the lives of those in our community who have less than others. 70% of our student body, and that's 13,000 students, 70% live on $36,000 for a family of four or the equivalent thereof, and yet they come to school every day. They are my heroes every day because education can transform not their only their life, but the lives of their family and the generations thereafter from that point forward. I mean, we're really solving poverty at Ventura College, that's and these students stay in Ventura. So it's raising the boats in, in the harbor for everyone in our county. You just described yeah. me and my family, yeah. actually. I went to Ventura College, and I was in that category as well. So Once a pirate, always a pirate. Well done. <laughs> our guest today is Ann King, the Executive Director of Ventura College's Foundation. You can learn more at vcgiving.org. Thank you, Ann. Thank you so much, Mike. You're tuned in to Big Money in the 805 with Michael Anderson. Now it's time for Michael to go to the mailbag and answer some questions from listeners. Mailbag, we answer your questions from listeners about money and financial matters. Brought to you by Spanish Hills Country Club. Taste the elegance, golf, athletic, and social memberships. Visit SpanishHillsCC.com or call Cindy, 805-388-5000. Our guest today is Greg Abrams, branch manager of American Pacific Mortgage. His office is on Lincoln Drive in Ventura. Today we're talking about home loans. Greg, first question. A lot of devastation has happened here in Ventura County, Santa Barbara County. If someone lost their home or maybe they're just rebuilding or buying a new home in general. What's important when getting a new loan or working with a loan officer, just from a general standpoint? Just in general, anytime you work with a mortgage professional, it's doing your diligence in terms of getting a a solid referral, references for the company, but also the professional that you're working with, verifying their licenses. Uh, us as mortgage professionals, 
were licensed, uh, many different licenses a lot of times. You could look those up online to see that we're in good standing. A lot of times uh, nowadays, it's very simple to go on online for reviews. Check out Yelp, Facebook, different reviews. In the end, it's all down to your trust, making sure that you go with who you trust and also feel comfortable with. The second question from Richard in Ventura, he asked this, what's the difference between a loan officer at a big bank versus maybe a broker or the other one, a mortgage banker. Now, many people think they're all the same. Absolutely. You know, I, I get this all the time. There is differences. There's differences in the way that we're licensed and also the way that we operate as a business itself. Starting out with just a banker. A banker is uh, typically somebody that works at a larger bank, a branch institution that offers checking savings, as well as offering mortgages. A lot of times what they do, they're licensed, uh, they have a blanket license, they just register with the National Mortgage Licensing System. Their education is not as in-depth, and they don't necessarily specialize in mortgages uh, because they do offer other services. Then we go into a broker, and I get that word a lot. Um, I get referenced as a broker a lot. Really, a broker is fully licensed, full education, continuing education, but they act as a middleman. They piece together the client uh, with the true lender that's going to underwrite, approve, as well as fund the loan. Uh, you kind of lose a little bit of control by doing that, but you do have an expert that properly places and assists you in getting financing. The final piece and kind of what myself, Greg Abrams, and my company, American Pacific Mortgage, we're a mortgage bank. So an independent mortgage bank, what that means is that we do fund our own loans. We're fully licensed and we're start to finish all in-house. So we're a local branch. We offer processing local. We have underwriters. We have funders. So we have the products. We control those products. And really, we work to encourage to get that client into a home and to close that loan. So those are some of the differences there. Loretta in Santa Paula, she says, all of my money is in my house. I'm thinking about a reverse mortgage now more than ever. How difficult is it to get a reverse mortgage? Great question. Reverse mortgages are easier than what you would think. Uh, the main focus is truly the borrower's age. Uh, there's a minimum requirement there. And it's also how much eligibility comes down to the equity in their home. We want to make sure in terms of a reverse mortgage, it works in reverse. You receive payments or don't have a monthly payment. We want to make sure the integrity of your home is good, a few inspections to assure that. And then really qualifying is just to make sure that there's a sufficient income, the ability to repay the property taxes and homeowner's insurance. What's really good about the reverse mortgage is education is required. And I think that's a great aspect. There's a lot of components to this loan. And the more educated you are, the better decisions that you'll make. And that's for any loan. Our guest expert is Greg Abrams, branch manager of American Pacific Mortgage in Ventura. You can contact him at 805-667-8465 or online at apmloan.com. And if you have a question for the mailbag, submit it online at marinantha.com. Well, that does it for our show today. Be sure to stick around and listen to the new program, Inside the 805. That's coming right up. And if you have questions about the show, questions about your financial matters, you can always contact me online at marinantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or leave a message on my answering service, 805-665-3767. Have a great week, and join us again next time. Hi, this is Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. I've dedicated the past 12 years to researching different investment ideas. There are no guarantees when investing, 
but with a little help, you can find the right approach. I have built AllocationLink.com specifically for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management made simple, smart, and low cost. AllocationLink.com can have your account set up in less than 10 minutes. Please visit AllocationLink.com to learn more. Or you can leave me a message at 805-665-3767.